All right. So I am Aaron Stones. I am the pastor of preschool children and families here at Christ Fellowship. And some of you I know know me well, and others of you may think of me as that lady who's always back with the children, which is often true. So I thought I would help you get to know me a little bit better. So uh, I got some pictures here to share with you of a few things that I love. I thought about getting pictures of everything that I love, but that seemed a little nerdy. Um, so just a few I am crazy in love with this man right here. This is Michael Soans, my sweet husband. Yeah, I love it. Yes, clap for him. He's awesome. And then I've got these three little pumpkins, these crazy, beautiful kiddos. I've got Abigail, Elijah is 10, and Liam is 5 right there, little man. Um, a couple of other things that I'm pretty crazy about are life group here at CF. They're amazing. You should totally hang out with them. They will make you laugh a ton and love Jesus more. Uh, I am pretty crazy about coffee uh, to the obsessive point, uh, really nerdy about succulent plants, folksy music with banjos, and I am good books also hugely nerdy about that. And, uh, I am really, really, really crazy passionate about seeing families restored to full health and vibrant family life in Jesus. Like, these things make me very, very excited. So I am really excited to be here today. Like, really excited. And I have to tell you a funny, because you probably need to laugh. I know I do. So the enemy is not so excited that I am here today. And I will tell you how I know. So we have this little dog that lives in my house and bless her, she has not had an accident at night in the house in several months. But last night, she had three. Three. Okay. So first, I wake up at about 2 a.m. because Liam had to go to the bathroom. So he comes and says, Mommy, I have to go potty. And we get up, and my whole house just, well, there was something rotten in the state of Denmark. I mean, something just stunk. And so I walk in the living room because I was hungry, and I needed some Cheerios. And I found the smell. Two separate incidents of the smell. And I cleaned it up, and I went back to bed, and I didn't really, I thought it was weird, but didn't think too much of it then. Until this morning, when I walked in my kitchen at about 6.20 and discovered the same problem had happened again. And I thought, what on earth? And you know how the enemy, he, he just knows how to push your buttons. Just knows well, there is just nothing much more in the world than doggy diarrhea to get my my nerves pumping and bleh. So <laughs> immediately, though, something like, I felt like the Lord said, pay attention, this is opposition. And I went, oh, there's opposition. That means I have something good to say. Yes, yes, yes. And I started getting really excited. And I don't know if you've ever had the, the experience where the enemy overplays his hand and it just makes you laugh. Like, all of a sudden, it becomes really obvious. Okay, so I'm cleaning up. This is this morning. I'm cleaning up, and I've got, like, a huge wad of toilet paper here, and I'm scooping up the bleh, and I'm going to flush it down the toilet, and it just plops right on my toe and right on the floor. And I went, oh, oh, that's so funny. So rest assured that my toe and the floor have been thoroughly cleaned. <laughs> the incidents have been thoroughly cleaned. But I know that there is something that the Lord wants to say today because of what happened this morning. So uh, I am here because I don't know about you. But I have a crazy ability, and you might even call it a tendency, to overthink things. 
or to make things really complicated. Uh, I'll get a little funky or overanalyze or maybe I'm a little hurt and somebody offended me and I start looping on it in my head and like, well, what if this and what if that and what if this and what if this and my head just gets going like a thousand billion miles an hour. Can anybody relate to that? Nod heads? Okay, I see a few. All right, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. I don't want to be alone up here. Um, so because of this, I really adore the beauty of God's word to make things really, really simple. I need that. I need that simplicity to keep me on track. So when I am reading God's word, there are two things that I am always seeking to anchor myself in. So I think they're going to be right up here. This is important. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's important, okay? Telling you. Um, The first thing that I'm looking for is the character of God. Who is he? Who has he been? How does he express himself? How will he express himself? Who, um, who is he going to be for me? How does he respond to me? What can I expect from him? Because his character is solid. It is a sure foundation. And the other thing that I'm looking for is what are the things that move the heart of God? And here's what I mean. What are the things that he's looking for in me? that draw out response from him? What are the things that I need to be on guard for that would disrupt my, um, my closeness to the Lord? What are the things that help me to be really, really close and just right in sync with him? So those are the things that I'm watching for. Um, I love this verse. In Ephesians 20, it's Ephesians 6, 26 in the Amplified. And it says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying and incorruptible love. And I think that's what I want. I want an undying and incorruptible love. Because I don't know about you, but I've been in a situation before where I really thought I was walking with the Lord. And then I got a little funky about something and pretty soon... I was believing all kinds of stuff and messing up so crazy big time. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. And I don't want to be there. I need guide rails. I need safety rails to run in to keep things simple and to keep me close to Jesus. You know, I need that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. So if you will turn... And the text today is Psalm 106, 6 through 8. And if you have one of those nifty Bible apps or really fast Google fingers, if you would look it up for me in the Amplified, because that's the one I'm going to be using today to help us be, be just right in sync with each other, okay? So I'm going to read it, and it's going to be right up here too. Uh, I know these verses totally sound like a Debbie Downer, but I promise that this is going to get better and brighter. This is good news you're going to hear today, okay? All right. We have sinned. As did also our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt understood not nor appreciated your miracles. They did not earnestly remember the multitude of your mercies nor imprint your loving kindness on their hearts. But they were rebellious and provoked the Lord at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, He saved them for his name's sake to prove the righteousness of the divine character that he might make his mighty power known. So when I read this, there was something that immediately stood out to me here. So 
in this passage, what's going on is that the author is recounting the Lord delivering the people from Egypt. And he's recounting how the people screwed up and how God was faithful over and over and over and over again ad nauseum, right? We, we know that that's what happens to the Israelites. But there's something really cool and special about this particular passage. In verse 6, he gives us a key to what went wrong, to what went wrong with the people of Israel and what led them to rebel and provoke the Lord's heart. And so when I read that, I had one of those experiences where you're reading and something goes, whoa, and it just pops right out at you. And I thought, oh, i got to pay attention. This is important. And I really thought, man, these things that this is talking about here, this happens to me. And I think this happens to more than me. I think that these are anchor points. I think that these things are major. They are the plagues of forgetfulness, hard-heartedness that plagued the Israelites all through their journey with God and that get us now. I think these are markers of our broken humanity. And we need to actively seek to live out the opposite in order to remain really close to Jesus, okay? So I'm going to read one more time verse 6. This is where we're going to be focusing today. Our fathers in Egypt understood not nor appreciated your miracles. They did not earnestly remember the multitude of your mercies nor imprint your loving kindness on their hearts, but they were rebellious and provoked the Lord at the sea, okay? So here's the main thing today. I believe that God wants to teach us to keep our hearts deeply connected to his by appreciating his miracles, remembering the multitude of his mercies, and imprinting his loving kindness on our hearts. Okay? Okay, so this drinking water with one hand thing is more complicated. Maybe I just leave the lid off. There we go. Nobody jump up and down too much, so it won't spill on my computer. All right. Number one, the first way that we go astray is that we fail to understand and appreciate his miracles. So what does this look like? Okay. This looks like when we lose our sense of awe and wonder at the things the Lord does. And I'm talking about the range of miracles, everything from the teeny ones That amazing flower that you saw open that had that awesome smell or that moment with your kids when you just saw just a little glimpse of heaven break through or that sweet time of relationship or that amazing cup of coffee. Maybe that's just mine, but it's always on my list. And um, everything from that to times when the Lord did something earth shattering. And your world was rocked. And that check came in the mail for that, that debt that you owed that was to the penny what you needed. You know what I mean. You know? So I'm talking about everything from the tiny miracles to the huge ones that are really earth-shattering. It happens when we fail to recognize those moments and when we fail to mark them down. Okay, so I'm going to talk about something called a shared history with God, building a shared history with God. You're going to hear me mention this a couple times, okay? So when we have relationship with people, 
we have history with that person. We have positive experiences. We have fun times that we've shared together, times that we've laughed, times that were meaningful, times that were hard maybe, even times when we didn't quite get along and we had to learn to see eye, eye to eye again, right? And those things become a shared history of relationship with that person. And we know exactly where we stand with that person because of our shared history. They give security and depth to that relationship. In the very same way, we build, sorry, we build shared history with God by holding on and treasuring and marking down the experiences we have with him. So you guys know, or some of you may know, that concrete is actually a lattice work. So concrete, in the middle of it, it has rebars. And then into that grid goes the big chunks of rock and the little chunks of rock and the paste and the everything that holds it together. And I learned, I used this illustration in the first service, and I learned from my friend who's an engineer this really cool thing, that the, um, the support, the strength of the rebar is actually dependent on the pressure of the concrete to be strong and hold together. But the concrete is dependent on the tension of the rebar to keep it together. So we need a shared history that forms a foundation and our current experience with the Lord in order to make something that is strong and stable and able to be a foundation that we can stand on. And that foundation means that we can stand up with confidence and we can say that the Lord has been good and he will be good. And he is good right now. And we can hold on to that for our lives. So we want to mark it down, okay? All right. So when we are stuck and we're already in the pit of not understanding and appreciating his miracles, how do we climb out? Okay? It's pretty important that we be able to climb out. So I will postulate that we need to be people who are seekers, We need to be people who are seekers out of the goodness of God. We need to be people with open eyes that are searching and looking for God's goodness in the everyday things. We need to be people who are digging out beauty and seeing the Lord's goodness in it, okay? All right. And some of the ways that we might do this would be spending time in God's creation, that gift that he's given us. Spending time in his word, making time just to be with him in his presence, spending time with his people. His word says that his inheritance is in his people, that his goodness is there. So these are some of the places we might find it. And the cool thing is that for me, I have discovered that when I start looking I start to see it everywhere, especially if I start looking and documenting what I find by celebrating it or sharing it with somebody or writing it down in my journal or emailing it as an encouragement to somebody. When I start doing that, it's like I put on a different pair of eyes or maybe like some rose-colored sunglasses or a colored camera filter. I start to see his goodness everywhere. Okay, so some other things we might have to do in order for this to happen. We might need to ask to have our hearts waked up. Is that even right? Awakened, our hearts awakened. We 
we sometimes just get into this funk and we need to say, Lord, have mercy. Wake me up. <laughs> Wake me up to see your goodness. Wake me up to see it in the little things and the big things. I want to see your miracles. Wake me up. Okay. So the second thing that goes wrong with us is that we fail to earnestly remember the multitude of his mercies, okay? And some of the symptoms of this pit are things like forgetfulness and numbness and cynicism. Maybe like me, if you're like me, your sarcasm gets just a little more biting than what it used to be. Or you hear things coming out of your mouth that aren't marked with hope and joy, that are a little biting, a little harsh, and you just know, wait a second, something's going on. Something's not right in my relationship with God. Something's got to be straightened out here, okay? For me, like my particular brand of forgetfulness is that I forget how I've been rescued, I forget what the Lord has saved me from over and over and over again. And I forget that I am being rescued right now. Okay, so last week Chris told us that there is resurrection life going on everywhere around us, which is awesome. But the, the stinky thing is that we can be blind to it. When our eyes aren't open and our hearts are not ready to perceive, we can be blind to those mercies that are going on around us. And so we got to wake up. We got to wake up. We got to wake up. Okay. Another thing it might look like is our inner fire growing cold. So the deal is that our inner fire, the passion for the Lord that springs up within us, it comes in direct proportion to what we perceive of the love of Jesus. So when we perceive the love of Jesus fully, when we are seeing how high and wide and long and deep his love is, when we are seeing with clear eyes, our passion can get fiery and we can get all lit up on the inside. Pardon me. But when we start to get funky and when we're blind and when we're not experiencing that word, hold on to that word, experiencing the love of Jesus, then we get cold on the inside. And sometimes that can look like, look like an entitlement attitude. Anybody here ever struggled with maybe sometimes occasionally an entitlement attitude where we might forget that even the very air we breathe and the molecules that we're made of are held together by the Holy Spirit, right? In him we live and move and have our being. We have no hope of even existing without him. And yet we get all hung up on these little funky things, right? So this happens and is easy to see when it happens to my children, right? So I'm going to use them to illustrate because it's a good, good, clear illustration. So in my house, I don't know if it ever happens in your house, but we sometimes fall into this trap, and things will start to get a little funky, just kind of this, this grumpy, frumpy, entitled, demanding rah, 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 rah thing that happens in my house, right? Can anybody relate to that? Anybody relate? Okay, good. Um, 
And at first, I'm always just injured by it, you know? Like, oh, poor pitiful me. They're treating me so poorly. How could they demand such things of me? These children have such bad attitudes. And then once I move past that, I start to think, there's something deeper going on here. What's really going on? Don't they remember how much I love them? Don't they know? Don't they know that I would give them anything that they need? Don't they know that I would give them the world and I will do anything for them? And when that happens, I'm grieved. I'm really grieved that they're in a place of not seeing and not trusting. And I want more than anything to be restored to them. And I want this tender restoration to come between us. And I want their, their joy eyes to get opened up. And I want their thankful eyes to get opened up. And I want their eyes that see the goodness of God and the goodness of mommy and daddy to be opened up. You know, I want them to be restored to trust and love once again. And I really, really, really think that the same thing happens with our father. That the same thing happens. We get all grumpy, frumpy, entitled, forgetful. And he so deeply wants to be tenderly restored to us. Okay? So, oops, clicked out of it. Okay. So how do we keep from falling into this pit? How do we not get there? How the heck do we get back out if that's where we are right now, right? Okay. So I am going to give us a couple of things, some real practical things that can help us out here. Okay. Number one, we have got to be rooted in God's character and his love and his word. We've got to. Okay. So maybe you're like me. And last summer I had a time getting real funky. Okay. And I had to hear the Lord and say, Lord, how do I climb out of this funk? And he led me to the Psalms. And I started reading one a day, just one, and just digging out his character, digging out who are you, Lord? What are you like? I need to know again. I need to see again. I need to have fresh eyes again. Show me what you're like, okay? Or maybe you need to turn to the Gospels, and you need to see Jesus love people, and you need to see him touch people, and you need to hear him speak to people and interact with people, and you need to see that deep, profound love again in order to wake up your heart to his love, okay? Or maybe you just need to get really stinking desperate and cry out and go, Lord, I am so numb. I'm broken here. Help me out. Restore to me the joy of my salvation because I know that joy is real and I'm not feeling it and something's broken and I need you to make it right, okay? And sometimes... Sometimes we just need to slow down and see what the Lord's doing and see what he's done with open eyes. So um, a couple of months ago, right at the beginning of the spring, I took my youngest son, Liam, he's five, he's about that tall, to the zoo. And uh, we'd been walking around and we were toward the end of our zoo visit and we turned down this little wooded path. And it was just that time of spring when the flowers had just started blooming and everything just smelled so good. And it was just rich and green and we're this beautiful path. And it uh, goes, meanders right down beside a swan pond. Okay, and on this pond were these beautiful little fluffy newly hatched swans. 
these little gray fluff balls. I mean, they were so cute. These little tiny fluffy gray things floating along beside their mamas. And it was miraculous. And I thought, oh, I don't want Liam to miss this. I want him to see it. But Liam had a different agenda. He wanted to run. He wanted to run fast down the path. And he was on a parkour adventure right down that path. And he was running for all he was worth. And so I was trying to call him back to me. And I was like, Liam, Liam, baby, come back. Come back. I have something to show you. Come here. Come here. No response. Liam, come back here. Come on. I have something to show you. It's really, really cool. You don't want to miss this. That didn't work either. So finally, I had to go and physically scoop him up, to which he responded like this, and take him back to the pond and turn his little face and say, baby, look. And he looked and he went, oh, wow. Because once his eyes were turned in the right direction and his attention was focused in the right place, All of the sudden, there was room for the wonder and the awe of what was right in front of his eyes the whole time. And aren't we so much like that? Aren't we so much like that? I mean, sometimes we basically just have to physically grab hold of our own heads and say, look at Jesus. You need to look at Jesus now, you know? I mean, we have got to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then all of this wonderful stuff can become so apparent to us. Okay. So lastly, they did not imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. So imprint is an interesting word, and I was curious about what it meant, so I turned to dictionary.com for the answer, and I feel like I found something pretty cool. This is, this is really interesting to me. So number one, the first definition of imprint is pr- to produce a mark on something by pressure. So you've got one thing pushing against another thing in order to make a mark, okay? Second definition To impress a quality, character, or distinguishing mark on someone. As in, he left the imprint of his thought on all succeeding scholars. Hmm. So two things stood out to me in this. Number one, an imprint is produced by pressure. And number two... When we're with Jesus, something of the character of his loving kindness is marked on us. It leaves a distinguishing mark on us when we are with him. Okay. So as I was praying about what this meant, I felt like, well, stinky thing. There we go. I felt like the Lord pointed out to me two different kinds of pressure that can mark our lives with him, okay? So the first one is the Big Bang Revelation, okay? So these are the earth-shattering moments, the times when the Lord breaks through in his mighty power and you see with open, clear eyes who he is and how amazing and mighty he is because he has done something mighty, okay? So this could look like the first moment that you were rescued when you were down in that, hit 
And the Lord reached into your darkness and your murky muck. And he pulled you out and you saw him with clear eyes. And you saw his face. And you were able to say, I want to be yours. (coughs) Pardon me. And he took you by the hand and held you in his arms. And you were rescued. Or, oh goodness, this must be important what I'm saying. Y'all can pray through my throat. I got a tickle. All right. It could look like a dramatic rescue from painful sin or struggle when you've been stuck in something awful for a while. And for our family, we experience this. We experienced God's dramatic rescue of our marriage when he reached in after years of just pain and struggle and things just not being quite right and things being clunky and hard and hurtful and just parched. And all of a sudden we came to a breaking point. And that breaking point was ugly, 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 ugly. And for all intents and purposes, it looked like the end. It looked like death. It looked like nothing but death. But then the Lord's Spirit spoke. And we had some good friends who came along beside us and they spoke. And they said, guys, this is not the end. This is not the death of you. This is not the death of your marriage, and the Lord is going to use this to heal you. And the Lord spoke, and he said, guys, you didn't bring yourselves to this point. I allowed you to come to this point because I needed to blow this thing up from the inside out so I could heal it from the inside out, and I'm going to heal you. And he did. He did. He did. He took us. (laughs) Yeah, that is worth a clap. Thank you. Yes. So he took us from this place that looked like absolute death and destruction. And he lifted us out and he put us in this place that is bursting with life. And I can tell you with confidence that in the natural, if you looked at the pattern of my life, I am the least qualified human to hold the job that I do. But because of Jesus and his mighty working in our life, I can say with confidence that I am passionate about seeing families restored to full health and vibrant family life in Jesus because we were a stinking disaster area. And he reached in and did it for us. And I've seen it with my own eyes. I've lived it with my own life, and it was hard, and it was beautiful, and it was good, and he will do it for you. Okay. And maybe this looks like an earth-shattering moment when you've believed a lie, or you've held on to some yucky old unforgiveness thing for years, and there's something that's been eating you up from the inside out. And suddenly the Lord says, no, I'm not going to let you live with that anymore. And truth breaks you wide open. Okay. These experiences bear weight. They shape who you are. 
and they shape your perception of God. And when it happens to you, hold on to it for all your worth because you're going to need it. You're going to need that knowledge and that assurance of the goodness of God. Okay. The second kind of pressure is the pressure of steady waves of revelation. And this is the sweetness of God when we make it our priority to place ourselves in his presence and in his word and with his people day after day after day. And the spirit of Jesus is faithful to reveal to us his goodness and is faithful to take us to the word over and over and reveal those bits of his greatness to us and reveal that truth to us little by little by little and our vision becomes clearer and clearer and clearer okay so just a couple of things to remember here as we are um as we're just meeting with Jesus day after day number 1 the Lord is pursuing us. And when we start to pursue him, his heart cannot help but respond to us. The Psalms tell us over and over that when we cry out to him and when our hearts are fully his, that he cannot help but respond to us and run to us. So we can meet with him with confidence, knowing that if we show up, he's going to show up. Because remember, the story of the prodigal son is really the story of our prodigiously loving father. The other thing is, when you have those moments, and you're in the word, and all of a sudden, or you're spending time with Jesus, you're in prayer, and something goes, wah! And all of a sudden, your eyes are open. And you think, whoa, why did I never see it that way before? Okay. When that happens to you, you hang on to that thing. For all you are stinking worth in the world, you hang on to that thing. You write it down. You can put it on your refrigerator if you want to. You can tell it to your friends. Share the story. You change your beliefs because of that. You change the way you live because of that thing. You hang on to that thing because you're going to need it. So as we move into ministry time here, I want to give some practical hope and help. Some things that we can do together, some practices that we can put into place that can help us when we are really stuck. When we are numb and funky and not seeing and experiencing the goodness of God, there's some stuff we can do. Okay, and so if there are any of you out there, I don't know who you are, but I know you're here. I know you're out there. And you're not experiencing the goodness of God. And you know it in your head. But your heart just feels like dust in the back of your underwear drawer, you know? Like, you just feel like, bleh. You know what I mean. You're laughing, but you know exactly what I mean, okay? If you feel like your heart has been lonely and forgotten and is dry, the Lord fully intends for you to experience his goodness again. There is no death sentence on your heart. There is no numb sentence on your heart. 
The Lord fully intends for you to experience his goodness again. Hear that word, experience his goodness again. Not just know that it's out there somewhere and that Charlie experienced your goodness or that once upon a time you experienced his goodness, but he wants you to experience his goodness now. Okay? Okay. All right, so here's what we need to do. When we are hard and funky and weird, we need to repent. And we need to say, Lord, I am really stinking screwed up. I'm broken over here. I am broken over here, but I know that you can heal me. And I'm turning to you. So Ezekiel 36, 26 in the New Living Translation, I love this. It says, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that cool? Yes, I want a tender, responsive heart. Yes. And so maybe something else that you need to do or that I need to do, we need to do together is we need to cry out. We need to get good and desperate. We need to quit humming along, do, 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 do. Well, maybe I'll experience his goodness today. And we need to say, Lord, restore joy to me. Restore my eyes. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me, Lord. Okay? And then we need to mark down his goodness. Okay? When our eyes start to get this much open, I'm talking about when your eyes start to get this much open and you start to see even the teeniest little speck of goodness, we got to mark it down. We got to mark it down. We got to put those bricks in the pathway. We've got to build that foundation so that we can get stronger and stronger and our skills at digging out that goodness will grow. Okay, so I am going to share with you one more story from my life before we move into ministry time. And I just want to offer up this story as a sign of, of hope and um, just grace that God can change our way of seeing, that he can change our perceptions to see him clearly, okay? So this story begins a little over two years ago, and our family was living in the Como neighborhood of Fort Worth, and we're living in this really cool old house. We loved our neighbors. We loved the place where we were in life. Our life group came over every week and multiple times sometimes. We always, our house felt full of life and joy. And we really felt like our family life was gaining traction and purpose. Like it just felt good, you know? Like it felt good where we were. And we really thought, Lord, it's time to put down some real roots in this city. This is our city. We love this city. We're crazy about this city. We want to put down real roots. And so we wanted to look for our forever home right here in Fort Worth. And in order to do that, we had a house in Burleson that we needed to sell. So thinking that we had heard the Lord about the timing, we put that house on the market. It came under contract pretty quickly. And then the inspection happened. And that contract fell through because of some expensive, unforeseen repairs that didn't come out until the inspection. So the couple that was going to buy our house had to back out. They couldn't afford the repairs. We couldn't afford the repairs out of pocket. We were already paying rent and mortgage at the same time, like just strapped. 
And we're left in a place of saying, Lord, what do we do? We can't hold, we, there is no time for a holding pattern. We have to call it right now. And my sweet husband <laughs> courageously came to me and said, baby, we got to call it. We got to move back. And I kicked and screamed and cried and yelled and was really stinking mad. <laughs> he said, I already did that. You just were asleep while I did that part. And, <laughs> and we moved back. And we, we made the house something we could live in, something that we liked. But it still felt like a death sentence. It felt like we were going from a place that was so right and taking a huge step backward into all that place that we were when we were so broken and that place where we got all funky and that place where everything went wrong. And we didn't want to go back to that place. We're like, Lord, why? Why would you do that to us? We, it was, things were really, really shaping up. Why would you do that to us? This is wrong. This can't be right. There is no way this can be right. What are you doing, Lord? And we were depressed and we were funky. I apologize to any of you who had to interact with me during that life period. Um, and we just were, we were so desperate. And we just kept asking, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? I went to World Mandate that year. And the Lord spoke a word that was earth-shattering to me. And here's what he said. He said, child, and it was that kind of you better be looking in my eyes kind of child. You know, child, look at me. So I look. He says, Burleson is not where church planters go to die. It is where church planters go to be revived. And there was something about the way my daddy said it that I knew it was true. <laughs> and I knew I better listen. And I knew there was something bigger going on than what I knew about. And what I could see. And gradually, little by little, our eyes started to be opened. And we started to build community there. And we started to feel like maybe, just maybe, we could call this place home. And it wasn't just like a temporary landing spot till we could press the escape button. It wasn't a death sentence. And we started to see little miraculous things happening there. And we started to see our kids making friends. And we started to see people being drawn to Jesus. And people start coming to our life group and getting their lives changed. We thought, Lord, you're up to something. You're doing something here. And we thought that you must have lost your mind. <laughs> We thought you lost your mind, but you didn't. You wisely and intentionally planted us here. And you're up to something good. And you know what changed? What changed was not our circumstances. And what changed was not the Lord's mind. He knew what he was doing all the time. It was our eyes that changed. And our perception that changed. And our hearts that changed. And now I can look and I can say, the Lord did something miraculous. I thought he lost his mind, but he did something miraculous. So I know that I, and I think that you want to be like Jesus' friend John in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. 
or he said this about Jesus. He said, he is the one whom we have heard, whom we have seen with our own eyes, whom we have gazed upon for ourselves and have touched with our own hands. And I desperately pray that for you, that that would be the Jesus that you see every day. Okay, so everybody, if you would stand up, and we're going to move into some ministry time here. So I feel like there might be a couple of situations going on here this morning. So maybe you're feeling blocked or unsatisfied or parched or thirsty, maybe parched and dry for a long time even at experiencing the Lord's miracles and his mercy and his loving kindness. And if that's you, please, please come get somebody to pray with you up here. Or maybe you feel stuck like we did because of some kind of circumstance or disappointment. And you feel like you're on real shaky ground with the goodness of God right now. And if that's you, would you please come get somebody to pray with you? These guys can relate. Promise these guys can relate. Okay? Or maybe you're just new to this whole building a shared history with God thing. And maybe you just need practice at getting in his presence and getting in his word. And if that's you, please come have somebody pray with you and talk to you. We have so many people who would love to help you in those areas of discipleship. So please respond to whatever the Lord's doing in your heart.